You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And for those of you who are in the US, I just want to say happy thanks giving. I know that this is a very difficult holiday for so many of you struggling with eating disorders. So I wanted to repost one of my favorite episodes related to surviving the holidays. I often say that holiday season is like the eating disorder recovery Olympics because of the focus on food, social gatherings, and diet talk. And I think that this episode with special guest Sammy Praveet from Find Food Freedom is exactly what all of you need today. It's really important that you guys tune into this episode and get a refresher on surviving diet culture during the holidays. And what a way to kick the holidays off with Thanksgiving. So for those of you who are not familiar with Sammy's work, Sammy is a registered dietitian certified intuitive eating counselor, and certified personal trainer. Sammy has a fabulous energy, and I know that you'll enjoy hearing this message again. And with that, I want to say happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays to everybody listening in. Thank you so much for tuning in to another year of Full and Thriving. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. I am delighted to have Sammy Praveet on with me. She is a food freedom dietitian, and it's just really exciting to finally meet you in person, Sammy. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm super excited to be here. Yay. Awesome. I wanted to start off this interview by hearing about how your relationship with food has evolved over time. Yeah. I feel like I've told this story so many times. I don't even know where to start, but I feel like it's not much different from a lot of dietitians because the majority of our profession is thin white women with disordered eating or eating disorder. And that's where I fell into, where I went into the field as a nutrition student, like wanting to find the magic answer of how to lose weight and how to be happy. And I was going to help others do that. And then my college years were a whirlwind of disordered eating, restriction, binging, not only on food, but also on alcohol and just a super unhealthy relationship with food and body image and went through college became, got accepted to my dietetic internship to become a dietitian, even throughout that year of clinical hours and sitting for the national board and becoming a dietitian. I became a dietitian and I was still like, I'm unhappy. I don't have the magic answer. I'm a fraud. 
how am I a dietitian when I don't know how to do this? And it wasn't until I was ready to leave the field just because I was super unhappy, unfulfilled. Everything just felt icky. All the talk about weight management and calories and everything, super judgmental, very authoritative. And then I was lucky enough to have a colleague and close friend of mine, Haley Goodrich, who was in my dietetic internship class, who started her Instagram about intuitive eating. And she went on to become a certified dietitian with an eating disorder. And I was like, I called her and I was like, what's this intuitive eating thing that you're talking about? Like, this sounds cool. This sounds like something I'm actually interested in. And by that point, I had graduated from my internship. I became a dietitian and I definitely was lucky in the sense of I naturally fell into intuitive eating at that point because I was definitely within stage one of intuitive eating where I was diet rock bottom. I was like, I can't do this shit anymore. Like I'm done. And I just stopped like cold turkey with all of that. Mm. And that was so helpful. And, but I didn't really know that was like a part of intuitive eating when I was doing Mm. that. Mm -hmm. So then when I really found intuitive eating, read intuitive eating, I was like, this is the magic answer I've been searching for. There's a lot that's kind of happened in between there. But once I learned intuitive eating, I couldn't unlearn it. And I was like, I know that this is my calling and this is what everybody needs to hear. And then Find Food Freedom came along and now we're here. Oh, I love that journey. And it is so funny how many dietitians start the career around the same headspace, like almost searching for answers for themselves, looking for that perfect magic solution. And I'm just so glad that you were able to connect with intuitive eating and start doing that on your own by rejecting diet culture after a while of being really stuck on it. That's so, so awesome. I'm just curious, what were some of the other principles of intuitive eating that really helped pull you to food freedom when you were getting out of your patterns? Yeah. Well, I think it's hard to, at the time, I don't think I was, like I said, aware of them, but I think Mm -hmm. one that really spoke to me, like after the fact, looking back and kind of unpacking all my past trauma and whatnot relationship with food would be coping with emotions with kindness. That one just Mm kind of came up for me Mm -hmm. because I had lost my best friend in a car accident my senior year of high school. And I have like vivid memories of just being lost in food and completely trying to numb all of that. And in the moment, having no idea that I was doing that, but I remember being angry that I couldn't stop eating and not recognizing that that was like one of my only coping mechanisms I had when I was that Mm -hmm. young. So that one really stands out to me. I mean, I think they all do. I could probably give you an example and go through all of them. Because I, I'll give you two. So another one that I think of in high school is just a lot of people think intuitive eating. They think it's only food based, but one of the principles is movement, feel the difference. And Mm. with that one, I have vivid memories in high school and college, just going to the gym and for hours going on the elliptical or treadmill, like hating it and just simply doing it to try to burn calories and punishment for what I was eating. And so that's, something that's been so transformative with intuitive eating is like 
the intention behind the movement is different, only doing forms of movement that I enjoy because I want to, not because I have to, not feeling guilty for not skipping or for skipping a workout or going weeks without working out and knowing it's okay to have rest periods. So that has also been super transformative. Mm-hmm. I love both of those. And I bet we could both go through all of the principles of intuitive eating and pick out examples, but those are really important ones. And I'm, thank you for sharing that. I know we wanted to talk today about diet talk and diet culture during the holidays. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit and ask you, because we're kind of on the topic of your own journey what was it like for you when you were struggling with food to experience the holidays? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Well, I think of like exactly what I see with my clients. It's those similar patterns of whether it's holidays or even vacations, that restriction binging cycle of before the holidays come, it's like, okay, I'm going to be really good, air, heavy air quotes. I'm going to get my diet in check. I'm going to make sure I'm on a diet and have all of these food rules to air quotes, keep me safe during the holidays. And I'm going to be really good. And I'm not going to eat any treats and like all of that kind of talk. Right. And I genuinely can remember going into holidays, like thinking, okay, this is going to be the year I'm going to do it. Right. Like this is it. And then of course the holidays come and you're at a party or a social event and you're freaking hungry because you've been restricting. And then you drop that guard down. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to have one, right? Or, okay, well, I already had one. So I already blew it. So I might as well have more because why not? Mm-hmm. And then you have that urgency to eat even more of it. And then you're like, okay, after tonight, never again. So then you end up eating to a place of physical uncomfortableness which then is also emotionally uncomfortable because then you're beating yourself up, negative self-talk. And I feel like that was kind of like one specific example, but that was just like my holidays, like Mm -hmm. year after year, party after party when I was in the thick of the disordered eating. Mm-hmm. I totally I remember that. Normal. <laughs> like, this is normal. Right? And that's the general narrative we all get when it comes to holiday parties is you got to have self-control. You got to have discipline, go in there with a plan, only allow yourself a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I think that's really damaging. That's what we all absorb around us. So we go into the holidays expecting that to be the case. And I remember that being my situation as well, like feeling like I had to tame a wild beast at a party. And that beast was like my own need to just feed myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've been depriving myself of. And I even think of like going back to when I shared my story of becoming a dietitian, like I think of the, the early years as a dietitian, I was taught to give people holiday party tips. And it was like, only eat the vegetables, fill up on water, like literally like disordered eating tips. And that was a part of like, when I was in that, I was like, well, this shit doesn't work because I've done this for years and I just end up binging. So that's why I was like, mm-hmm. being a dietitian is a fraud. Like, why am I a dietitian? And then again, it was like, oh, it's because I was like a diet culture dietitian because that's what the majority of us are taught. Mm-hmm. And you have to unlearn all of the diet culture that you're taught and then relearn intuitive eating. Mm. So that is something that just came up for me as well. Yeah. What a journey. Just like feeling like a fraud. Like 
of all people, you should know the hacks and the tips to get through the holidays unscathed. And even then you left feeling like you lost control in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. It's so interesting. I'm also curious, were you ever on the other side of the coin? Like, were you the perpetuator of diet talk before you healed yourself and became a anti-diet dietitian? Yeah, it's a good question. I think fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, I think I was so self-conscious. I was so uncomfortable in my body that I was not one to like parade around and talk about it, which I know Mm. is really common for disordered eaters. Like if they're proud of how they're eating air quotes or whatnot. So for me, I don't think as much because I was more just shaming myself so much in my head that I didn't really talk about it. But being a nutrition student, being a dietitian, if we're in those years, my early years of being a dietitian, people knew what I did or if they did, they would kind of ask like, or, or, you know, they assume that we're the food police, which we were, or I was for a little bit. (laughs) So they assumed that I was judging what they were eating because I was a dietitian. So maybe Mm. people would bring that up and they would ask me questions and I would answer. But luckily when I think back to dialogue, I was not usually starting it because I was too wrapped up in my own negative thought loops to do any of that. Mm, That's such an interesting distinction. Like you're just busy shaming. You're so busy shaming yourself. You're not going to push that towards other people in the moment. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I know you've talked about this subject before and I wanted to shift gears towards more about how we can help people navigate the diet talk throughout the holidays and in general. So to kind of set the scene, I was wondering if there are just some general examples you can provide of what diet talk might sound like during the holidays. Yeah. Well, I think, so it can obviously vary vastly depending on who you're talking to, what they're talking about. But I think often it's what diet people are on is a big one, right? So Mm -hmm. it could be people sharing their own air quotes, expertise or opinions. It could be, I would say even worse than that. It could be family members or loved ones making comments on your plate and what you're eating or potentially body comments about the size of your body. I know for clients, that's been a big topic of conversation of coming out of quarantine and hopefully more social things happening in these holiday months. Like a lot of anxiety about not being behind computer screens anymore and being in person with family members and friends, a lot of that. And then just thinking about holidays are always around food. People just making air quotes, lighter dishes or keto friendly recipes and all of that. There's so many different ways we can go with it, but you just let me know if you want us to pick one and we can kind of roll with it or however. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll do two examples. I would love to hear how you might respond or how you would advise somebody to respond um, for maybe two of those. So let's start with the more passive diet culture talk where someone is maybe expressing feelings of guilt and regret around eating too much, like to the family dinner, like, oh, I shouldn't have had that extra serving of this. And I'm going to have to do that 
5k tomorrow how might you respond yeah. and i and i'm partially asking selfishly because this is something i still have trouble with because i don't like conflict with family like or people that i love so yeah. it's it's really difficult in those moments like do you think people should say something and if so what um or are there different strategies to handle that yeah it's a great question and i think i think anybody listening to this, it, there, we can give a couple of different ways to respond. And it totally depends on like, like you said, like what you feel comfortable with, what your personality type is. Um, cause everybody's different. But in that example, I think you might enjoy this response <laughs> because I learned this straight from Evelyn Triboli, the author, co-author of intuitive eating, where she gave me this advice. I'll never forget it. And I use it every day where she said, it like when someone says something to you, are they reachable? Are they teachable? And if mm. not, then do not waste your precious time, energy, or mental capacity mm. trying to convince them that they need to be an intuitive eater, right? Or they shouldn't oh. diet. And so truly, once I had that conversation with her, that was probably over a year ago, I just releasing that responsibility of trying to convince people that they shouldn't diet, even as intuitive eating anti-diet professionals, like it's not our job to convince people not to diet, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Our job is once somebody knows in their heart and their soul that like dieting doesn't work for me, I can't do this anymore, but I have no idea what to do because I've dieted for the last five, 10, 20 years that's my whole life. What do I do now? Those are the people that we work with, right? When they know they need help, but they have no idea what to do. And they genuinely are curious and want to learn more. Any family member or friend that makes a comment like that, I don't say shit. <laughs> I just pretend like I'm an accountant that knows nothing about it. Because oftentimes, like bringing attention to it can make it worse. Now, obviously, if like someone's like, Sammy, what do you think about that? Like, I won't just sit there mute. But if someone makes a comment like that outwardly, I don't even touch mm, it. I love that. My job. It's a total relief to hear someone say that it's okay not to stand up to that conversation if you don't feel that person is reachable or teachable. I completely love that phrase and I've I didn't know it. So I'm assuming a lot of listeners had never heard that either. So thank you so much for sharing that. So that's a really good example. I think it would potentially cause more stress at dinner if you decide to just push your own beliefs onto the family. And I know I've felt conflicted in those moments because there are times I really want to say something and want to help people see the light, but I have bit my tongue. Do you just want to add from our last example? Yes. If somebody is curious about intuitive eating or makes a comment and genuinely like wants to know what you have to say, again, that would go back to the first part, I guess, like, are they reachable and teachable? Maybe because they yeah. seem more curious. Yeah. So yeah. That's where, of course, we can kind of lend a hand. So when you say reachable and teachable, how might you know that someone is reachable and teachable in the moment? Yes. So that has taken definitely a lot of trial and error, right? <laughs> but I would say, generally speaking, the more and more you have these conversations, you just get that like red flag 
feeling mm-hmm. when someone's mm-hmm. not. So it, it does come with experience, but somebody's wanting to lecture you on why the keto diet is the best diet that they've ever been on. And it's the best thing that's ever graced this planet. You know that they're not reachable or teachable, right? Mm, right. If somebody is, let's say, if we go back to your example, you know, making comments about wanting to burn off everything they just ate. And then maybe they follow that up with like, oh, but I really wish I didn't feel that way. I watch a lot of your posts, Meg, and I just wish I could believe what you believe. Mm. Obviously, that's very different where they like have some idea of what you say, but they don't believe it Mm -hmm. and they don't think that's true for them. So that I would say is an example of like, they're definitely curious, right? There's curiosity. So Mm -hmm. those are two vastly different examples, but I think it just, and giving yourself the grace that like, like you might lean into a conversation and think someone's reachable and teachable and very quickly realize they're not. And it's yeah. okay to bow. It's okay to bow out mm-hmm. and just like, Oh, sorry, I'm getting a phone call and just like get up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Very good. I really do like that. You brought up that sometimes we can read the room and know when people are curious and open to learning. And I know I've definitely been in moments like that and it feels so good to watch the person in front of you feel a sense of relief. And I don't know. It's like when you talk to someone about anti-diet culture thinking and the health at every size movement, I find there's this like wave of peace that comes over them when they hear it for the first time. Have you ever experienced that? Definitely. Definitely. Especially if they were expecting like shame, right. Or judgment, which a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of health professionals do bring on Mm. shame or judgment. So Mm -hmm. when they don't get that from you and they just feel validated, I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And also the light bulbs going off, like, wow, I didn't think of it that way. It's always so much fun for me, but I think feeling it out is always the way to go. Another aggressive comment that many people hear is related to their bodies. And if they've gained weight, say during the pandemic or during eating disorder recovery, maybe family members aren't aware of this. So they show up in a new body and people make comments about the weight gain that aren't super thoughtful or loving. And how might someone respond to that sort of diet talk? That's a wonderful question. And these are things that I think it's important to have professional support when you're going through recovery or healing your relationship with food or body, because these things absolutely happen. And a big part of what we do as professionals is role play these scenarios with our clients. So then when it does happen, they're ready for it. They're Mm -hmm. almost expecting it. And we can get that emotional kind of response out during our sessions. So then when it happens in real life, they can react in a way that aligns with them instead of reacting from a place of emotion that sometimes feels a little icky and and afterwards like, oh, I wish I didn't do that or say that. So the first thing I would say is having a mantra that you can turn to. Maybe it's written in your phone. Maybe it's your phone background or somewhere that you can really access it easily if you forget it. But the one that I always kind of go to first would be what other people say about my body has everything to do with their relationship with their body and nothing to do with my body. Mm. And 
that stands true for food, right? Whatever someone says about food on my plate or how much I'm eating has everything to do with their relationship with food and nothing to do with mine. And so often people are just projecting their relationship with food and body onto others. And then if it's done to us, we internalize that, right? And then the negative self-talk starts coming. So in this instance, I would have that mantra ready to go, take a deep breath, and then have some different ways of how you want to respond to that. So this goes back to depending on what type of personality we are, right? For some people, they might be more sassy and snarky and be able to say, like, shut the hell up. It's not even fan business, right? Yeah. Like, I do have some clients that that would be their first line of defense. I have other clients that might feel more comfortable stating a boundary that's like, hey, we're not going to talk about my body. Maybe saying like, hey, I'm in eating disorder recovery and this is really triggering. And I just mm. ask that you please don't talk about my body anymore. Mm -hmm. It could be like a direct boundary. Now that can be really scary and really hard to do depending on a person's personality type. It could be a quick change of subject. So acknowledging what they said of, oh no, I didn't even notice. And then having something ready to switch to. So, oh, did I show you this picture of my Frenchie? I forgot to tell you about what he did the other day. He's so goofy. <laughs> or like, oh, did you watch, you know, the new season of you on Netflix? It's so creepy. Or having something that it's like, before you go into that event, you're already expecting that to be said. You've made peace with that. So when it's said, we take a deep breath, mm -hmm. we acknowledge and we redirect and we get away from it. And then the last would just be, depending on the person, depending on their personality type, is just getting out of the room. So it could be like, oh, no, I didn't notice. I, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry. And just just get out. Just get out of the conversation because it's not going to honor you. And if if you notice that you're getting really emotional, your face is flushing, you're sweating, your hands are sweating, and you don't feel like you can respond in a way that you practice, then I always say just just get out, mm. go do some deep breathing in the bathroom, text a friend, text your therapist, you know, whoever you have as your support system. And just know that that has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. I really, really love all of those pieces of advice. And I really appreciate how you bring up the idea of role-playing and almost rehearsing those power statements in a way, like those boundary lines because it can be, it can feel really scary to just say it for the first time. Yeah. So saying the comment, I would appreciate it if we don't talk about my body today. I feel like if I were to say that out loud for the first time in front of someone, I would probably like mumble and end up running out of the room. But if you actually practice it, it's like already on the tip of your tongue. You can just say it right out loud which is, that's come in handy for me before. So I think role-playing is so helpful. I think those tips for people commenting on your body were spot on. And while you were talking, I also thought about the food police too. So people actually commenting on food, like you shouldn't have had that much of this, or that's really bad for you. Judging food, adding morality to food. What do you say in response to that. Yeah. Well, I think similarly, it's that same mantra, right? That has everything to do with their relationship with food and nothing to do with yours. Mm -hmm. Because if we break mm -hmm. down some of those comments, 
if they're saying you shouldn't have had that or that's bad or whatnot, that straight up just tells us like, that's what they think is bad, right? They have morality tied to food. So those just give us clear signs of what their relationship with food is like. And I think it just totally depends on like where you're at in your recovery Mm -hmm. journey, because I know in the beginning, those things can make people really angry, right? Like filled with rage, really just want like frustrated, annoyed. And it can be like that years into your journey of recovery. But in the beginning, it's way more triggering, right? I Mm. find that I have some clients, one I just met with yesterday, who was giving a similar example from a family vacation. And she was like, it's so crazy that like after a year of working with you, like, I now, when my mom says these things, I just feel sad. Like Mm -hmm. I feel empathy and I feel, and in those moments, she just kind of wouldn't like slightly acknowledge and then redirect. But it's as we hear more and more of these triggers, we'll recognize that it has everything to do with their relationship with food, nothing to do with us. And so I feel like as we go further along in our journey, we get less triggered by it because we mm-hmm. recognize like we used to be like these people. We used to have these thoughts. So we have empathy for them mm-hmm. versus being triggered by it. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. The farther away you are from it, the more you can see through the lens, maybe a little bit more compassionately and empathetically. And I know that's definitely true for my lived experience. I think several years removed from it, Whenever I hear people criticizing their bodies or making comments about food or supporting diet culture, the first emotion I feel is compassion, I think, and a little bit of empathy. And then, yeah, there's that sadness too, because I almost feel bad that they're experiencing that and they haven't gone through the journey yet. And sometimes I have to remind myself that it's not everyone's journey to go through. They might actually live in diet culture for a very long time or forever, which is tough for me, but I've worked on trying to accept that. Yes. I'm right there with you. And that goes back to like releasing the responsibility from us, but Mm -hmm. it's hard Mm -hmm. because when you're on this other side, you just know how much happy or happier you are, how much joy you can experience. And you just want that for them. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense. What is it like for you now during the holidays, now that you have total food freedom? Yeah. I think it's just like any other day. Like that, and I think, right. That's mm, what it that. is. Yeah. Is that like, that's what food freedom is. Is that whether it's a holiday, a Monday, a Saturday, a vacation day, a work day, like it's just another day. And that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the food. It's just, I can have all of the foods that exist during the holidays, any day of the year. Mm. So it's, it's just food, but So sometimes I think that can be disappointing for people because they lose that like lust that they have with food. But I will say what is more exciting is that when you're not all consumed with food, you can actually be present and enjoy the people around you, the memories, the experiences, which for the years that I was in my, the thick of my disordered eating, like I don't remember a lot of holidays other than being consumed with food Mm. and just Mm -hmm. feeling physically unpleasant and emotionally unpleasant. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah, it is really sad. But you bring up some really good points there. First of all, 
acknowledging that it's just another day with food. And I totally connect with what you just said. So I'm really glad that I asked you that because I wasn't sure what you're going to say. And it's such a helpful reminder to everyone who haven't quite reached food freedom yet that the holidays before you get to food freedom, you're focusing on them. It's a different day. It's the day I'm going to allow myself this, this, and this, and I'm going to, or I'm going to need all this self-control and willpower. It's like the Olympics, right? For, um, for people on diet in diet culture, it's like they've been training their whole lives to handle this. Okay. Um, and then when you reach food freedom, you're like, Oh, this is just any other day. Yeah. Such a, truth there because the food is always available to you you know you can have holiday food in july if you want yeah (laughs) yeah like right we're coming up on halloween and it's like there's bowls of candy all around our house and like i could also buy those bowls and can't fill them with candy like in july right Mm -hmm. like it it doesn't matter that they're there and and it's obviously easier said than done to say it's just food. It's just another day, another day. But I always like to just say like our bodies need consistent fuel, consistent hydration, regardless of the day. And I think when we go back to like holiday patterns and diet culture, and this might've just been, cause this is how it was for me is I woke up, I would air quotes, try to be good and restrict all day and be like, I'm just not going to eat today. Right. Or I'm going to eat the bare minimum. And that literally sets you up to binge and be out of control around food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So going back to it's just food, our bodies need consistent fuel and hydration, ensuring that on Thanksgiving day, you're eating a breakfast, you're eating a snack, you're eating a lunch and hopefully another snack before you get to Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. But I know back then I would try to not eat carbs and all of the things because I was anticipating the binge. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's part of the culture too, unfortunately, is we think let's just hold off all day and then, and then really let loose on during the dinner. And that's so not the way to do it. And I think you brought up, such an important point. So for everyone listening, definitely make sure you have your breakfast, your lunch, your snacks, because then when you approach the meal, you're not going to be totally ravenous. And also holding out grace for the fact that, heck, it's Thanksgiving. You might eat a little bit more than you normally would at dinner. And that's totally normal too. Yeah. It's normal to feel full or a little past full or even uncomfortably full, right? Mm -hmm. We're humans. So Mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. Having, giving yourself permission to eat how, like eat just because it's Thanksgiving and it's fun and you have all your favorite seasonal foods there and that's okay. You might be uncomfortable, but a lot of people are. It doesn't mean it's coming from a disordered place necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Uh, You also mentioned the ability to be more present in the moment on holidays. And you touched on that a bit. And I was just wondering if you have any advice for people who are hoping to be more present for that big holiday meal. Yes. I love that. So I just had one of my clients who he jet set off for vacation. (laughs) And we were talking about this of just being really intentional about before the event, right? Before the holiday, before the vacation, 
what do you want to feel and experience on that holiday? And just even if it's two minutes, five minutes, writing a note in your phone, journaling about it, what do you want to feel and experience on that holiday? And then when you're in the moment, when you're in like in the thick of it, right at the social event, if let's say you're having obsessive thoughts about food or you're thinking about restricting or whatever it is, we can have that in our phone or have that somewhere where we can kind of look at that and say, okay, is this thought or is this behavior aligning with Mm. what I want to feel and experience? And if not, no judgment, no shame, no guilt, we're human. That's okay. Mm. But can I let it go? Because it's not going to serve me with what I do want to feel and experience today. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with the idea of putting some intention behind the meal before you begin and reflecting on how you would ideally like it to go. I think that visual rehearsal in a way I know has helped me in the past is just when you can visualize something going really well, it increases the likelihood that you can do it in the moment. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that piece of advice as well. So as we come to a close, I was curious just one more chance to to share your wisdom and knowledge. Do you have any other tips or advice for managing diet culture talk during the holidays or diet talk in general? Because I'm sure there's so much out there. Yeah. Well, I feel like I know we already said this one, but even I kind of referenced it earlier from like a professional standpoint, but I think it, it aligns no matter who you are no matter where you are on your journey, it is not your responsibility to convince people not to diet. Mm. Because I think so (laughs) many times I see with clients, you know, when you're in the, especially in the beginning stages, when you're just like on fire (laughs) for like fighting diet culture and you're pissed off and you're grieving everything you lost in diet culture, you just want to like kill it like in any way that it comes up, right? And smash it to the ground. So then when people say something, you just want to like attack them almost because of that. And so I see that time and time again with clients. So I I love to reassure people, like it's not your responsibility. Let's Mm. worry about you and keep you safe. And so I think that's like what I would love people to remember if they walk away from this because we know diet culture is everywhere. It's $72 billion industry. So it will be everywhere around the holidays, especially with the new year, new you bullshit coming out. So just (laughs) recognizing that like, when that comes up, release yourself of that responsibility and turn inward. And Mm -hmm. I think that if you can do that, that is going to be so helpful during the holidays. Yes. Like be protective of your own progress and Stay in your lane. Yep. Mm, Very, very, very helpful. And I guess, well, I just wanted to ask you because you brought it up, the new year, new me thing kind of connects to the holidays too, you know, New Year's Eve and all that. We didn't touch on that yet. I kind of had Thanksgiving in the mind while we were chatting. Um, But how do you resist the urge to maybe go back on a diet during the New Year's? Yes. Well, I think a lot of this takes reflection right? Mm. So it makes sense that 
dieting is sexy and it promises love and acceptance and happiness and all of the things. But I have a few like staple questions that I like to ask people. Because again, it's not our job to tell them don't do it. They have total autonomy. They can do whatever they want. But one, you know, how many years have we been dieting for? Right. So let's reflect on that. Is it five, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50? How many years have we been on or off diets? Mm -hmm. From that, thinking about how has dieting served you thus far? Right. Has it gotten you what it's promised you? Has it gotten you the love, the acceptance, the perfect body, air quotes, whatever it is? And if the answer is no, then why do we think this diet will be different? Right. And just, Mm -hmm. just kind of thinking about those things and allowing the thoughts or the, you know, whether you're journaling about it or whatnot to just come up without guilt, without shame and just get really, really curious. Mm -hmm. Wow, Sammy, that's really helpful. I love those reflective questions. Sometimes the, the best way to heal is just to ask yourself questions like that so that you get a chance to think differently. And, and those are so empowering. So I appreciate your feedback on that. And I wanted to say thank you so much for joining me on the show today. We really covered everything and I, well, almost everything, there's always more, but we covered a lot on the subject. So I think everyone listening is going to love this episode. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that concludes this week's episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the show. When you have a moment, please head on over to Instagram and follow my recovery coaching account at Meg underscore McCabe to stay up to date on everything I'm doing in recovery land. And if you're feeling extra inspired, please send me a direct message to let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.